0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 27th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. How do we get three separate ways of launching nuclear weapons? Why does it matter that we should move to fewer such platforms? Ben Friedman is co-author of the new Cato paper, The End of Overkill, Reassessing U.S. Nuclear Weapons Policy. He argues that there are significant savings to be reaped
1: and no loss to security. The United States now has about 1,600 deployed nuclear weapons on three kinds of delivery systems, submarine-launched ballistic missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, and bomber aircraft, gravity bombs. And uh, we argue that that's unnecessary, that we could get by with submarine-launched ballistic missiles alone and still accomplish all the aims We have uh, for nukes in US foreign policy today. We don't necessarily agree with all those aims, but we're saying just on efficiency grounds, you could be a very hawkish person uh, and agree with us that uh, we don't need all these systems. And we argue that the triad uh, developed from bureaucratic competition among the military services, the Navy and the Air Force in particular, and survived uh, because – that competition diminished and these arguments for it were sort of invented to justify it. It wasn't strategically oriented in the first place. It was sort of something that happened bureaucratically and then was justified for a variety of reasons involving allies and uh, bureaucratic compromise. And It was never actually necessary for the reasons people said during the Cold War and has become especially unnecessarily and wasteful now.
0: At the beginning of the Cold War uh, when n- nuclear supremacy seemed uh – so vitally important uh, with respect to the Soviet Union. What did the United States do to, uh, I guess, make it likely that we would win that race?
1: If you start the clock in the 1950s, we had a situation where the Eisenhower administration saw massive retaliation as the way to deal with the Soviet threat to Western Europe and and Germany, uh, West Germany and Berlin in particular. The idea was that we can save money and avoid militarizing our economy, which Eisenhower feared by using nuclear weapons which are cheaper uh, than ground power and that would be done by the Air Force uh, Strategic Air Command, uh, a bomber offensive against the Soviet Union using using nukes. Uh, But at the time, uh, missiles were developing and uh, the Navy uh, to become more relevant uh, in the defense – department in in the sort of mission of the day which was the defense of Europe and to win back budget share because the Air Force was dominating the defense budget at the time, getting almost half with the Army and Navy splitting the rest. The Navy developed uh, submarine-launched ballistic missiles and this was in many ways a response to the situation where they felt cast out of uh, relevance by the Air Force and by the new look strategy uh, by massive retaliation. So uh, you have this competition between the Air Force and the Navy to develop missiles so the Air Force adjusts to uh, the onset of submarine-launched ballistic missiles by accelerating uh, its development of uh, Minuteman missiles. Uh, and of course, that was helped by the, by the missile gap, which occurred around the same time in the sphere of Soviet missiles. So you have this sort of double competition between the Navy and the Air Force and the uh, United States of America and uh, the Soviet Union that really got us the triad. So we have uh, three kinds now, submarine-launched ballistic missiles, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles and uh, bombers. And and what happens is at the beginning of the 1960s, the Kennedy administration makes a series of choices uh, about – the defense budget and the strategy we're going to keep with regards to Europe. We're going to try to talk the Germans out of developing nukes by saying, look, we'll defend you forever. Eisenhower wanted to get out of Germany. And that sort of locks in the triad. We have this idea that all the services are relevant. All these different platforms are relevant in different ways to the defense of Europe. And so the services all kind of lock arms and say, "This is, this is something we can believe in, this triad, this system of defending Europe. And then the stories uh, that get told about why it's a good thing, there's a couple different stories, just don't get challenged. And we have this sort of these myths about the necessity of the triad that really have lasted to this day without sufficient scrutiny.
0: I was about to ask uh, about how important budget share is to maintaining uh, the status quo.
1: It was quite important. The Kennedy administration basically equalized the service share. So um, whereas the situation the Navy had been in where they were being squeezed out of the budget and the army too had resulted in what I would call sort of innovative military doctrine, Uh, the Navy developing submarine-launched ballistic missiles and this idea of um, finite deterrence that you don't need uh, to destroy every Soviet uh, nuke that you can get by uh, by just going after um, a limited amount of city targets and the army's uh, development of flexible response doctrine of using more ground forces uh, in a limited way to defend Europe whether or not they're great ideas, they come as a result of uh, budgetary pressure. And so you have this sort of intellectually interesting environment in the Pentagon. And then in the 1960s, the budget shares are equal and the services say, look, we win and lose together. Uh, and they're also being uh, reacting to uh, Robert McNamara's dominance over the Pentagon budget. And, and they sort of learn that uh, they, to avoid being divided and conquered and to lock arms. So they sort of say, we win and lose together. So let's all say the Soviet threat is 10 feet tall in a sense and uh, cooperate and not denigrate as we did in the 1950s each other's methods of developing nuclear weapons. So no – the taxpayer loses an ally. The taxpayer loses a military service that will go to the hill or even uh, do underhanded things to put out the message that the other people's uh, methods are bad. So I think that that was a negative development for the United States and we were sort of – we became stuck as a result of this boring budgetary situation with a, uh, intellectual sort of stalemate.
0: So if we were to essentially reintroduce an uncertainty for over various branches, military budgets, what are we likely to see in terms of savings in the nuclear arsenal?
1: Well, the interesting thing now is that the prominence and importance of nuclear weapons in the budgets – and missions of the Air Force and Navy have declined. The the Air Force used to be run in the 60s through the 70s by uh, bomber pilots. It was taken over by fighter pilots who like F-35s and F-22s even more. They don't care really about nukes. They don't care about missiles. Missileers have always been sort of an odd fit in the the Air Force, which is always more about manned aircraft, not missiles. Uh, And the portion of the budget going to – nuclear weapons and delivery systems has also declined. So uh, arguably when you have a a situation of austerity where the uh, Air Force is being asked to come up with savings because of the Budget Control Act and sequestration, they are going to see nukes maybe as redheaded stepchildren or their delivery systems as redheaded stepchildren that are taking from the plates of true sons and the Navy uh, maybe to a similar extent, although we support keeping That one uh, leg of the triad, submarine-launched ballistic missiles. So, um, rather than canceling a uh, a bunch of uh, a fighter wing or uh, something else the Air Force desperately wants, we think maybe they'll say, "Well, why don't we not make the next bomber capable of delivering nukes?" And that's actually something the Air Force has suggested. Although they've said, "Eventually, we'll put that capability in there," but let's delay it so we save a little money. Which to me seems like an invitation to Congress or the Pentagon leaders to just get rid of that Uh, or arguably, and this is a much tougher political skate, eventually maybe, why do we even need ICBMs? Let's just have uh, submarine-launched ballistic missiles. So certainly, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons we could get by with that alone, more than get by. We could uh, get everything we get out of nukes now from submarine and conventional uh, missiles alone. A rough estimate of what we'd save from going to an arsenal that's based exclusively on submarines, SLBMs, would be about $20 billion a year once the costs are implemented. It could wind up being more depending on the modernization plans. Right now, we have a plan to modernize all legs of the triad. If that actually happened, if it came to fruition, then we canceled it. We'd save uh, up, up to maybe a $100 billion over a few decades.
0: How has the technology of nuclear weapons changed since this triad developed?
1: Well, it's changed in lots of ways, but there's been a revolutionary change in our ability to accurately deliver ordinance. Uh, all kinds of ordnance, but nukes in particular missiles in particular, the accuracy revolution has to do with the guidance of missiles uh, and uh, their the surveillance that that uh, allows them to find targets in the first place. So we now have a uh, circular error probable for submarine launch ballistic missiles of two hundred feet. And what that means is you don't even need much of an explosion in terms of a nuclear explosion. The yield can be much lower because you're so accurate. So um, the submarine arsenal now can do all these things that you needed megaton ICBMs to do in the past, much heavier bombs. Even conventional weapons now, cruise missiles and conventional bombs can destroy hardened silos. So this is a kind of a revolutionary change in capability that the United States has experienced. And I think the taxpayer ought to benefit, benefit from it. And we don't really hear that much about it because it's not convenient to say uh, for many parts of the Pentagon, the Air Force's uh, missileers in particular, that this efficiency – these efficiencies have been gained because of course then there might be budgetary consequences
0: that would harm them. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.